And you're back with the Hollywood Growler. Thank you for joining us today. We have a great episode with Laguna Beach Beer Company. They were nice enough to show us their expanding tasting room, as I should say, their warehouse and production. Um, we screwed up. Yep. That's, that's, Let's just that's get right. it out of the way. Yeah, we, we screwed up. So the first part of our episode, we were recording on Anchor. We had technical difficulties. And we thought we pressed saved. And it was not saved. So unfortunately, the first bit of the episode is out. Like five minutes. Like five minutes. But we're, we're going to recap. Here's our recap. So uh, the people who we're going to be listening to today are head brewer at Laguna Beach Beer Company, uh, Brendan Maxim, just like the magazine Maxim. I've read that once. You you have not read it. Maybe I've... You've looked at the pictures. Sometimes. <laughs> and then uh, Christian Emsick is the general manager, and you're going to hear from him also. And he's not your average restaurant manager. Um, the First off, he's very interested in the different styles of beers. And second, he's kind of like us. He is sneaking into the brewery part of the tasting room every chance he gets so that he can try to absorb um, all the all the experience and all the knowledge. And he was just super nice to us um, the whole time that we were there. Yeah, like he, uh, he is very open and both of them, between their knowledge, it was really fun because they both had like a different perspective. We had the brewer and the person that somewhat sells the beer openly in the tasting room. So you kind of have like the forefront of their whole production right in the episode. So it's something different that we haven't done exactly before, I would say. And they both have kind of different tastes, which you're going to hear them bounce off of each other every once in a while. Uh, Brennan will be, you know, uh, kind of turning his nose up about a, t- a certain style. And uh, Christian will um, be jumping in saying, no, no, I, I like that style. That's my favorite style. So they go back and forth um, quite a bit about uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, you really have to make it down there for yourself. Their brewery is in Rancho Santa Margarita, um, right off the 241. It's a little bit out of the way for a regular Orange County uh, type of person, but if you're within the area, I mean... Yeah, if you're anywhere around there, you should go. They've got foosball, they've got cornhole. It's very good. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we're we're kind of expanding between the lower Orange County and uh, L.A. area, and we're soon to be in the San Diego and more north L.A. area in a minute here. So we're still strictly a little bit in the Orange County area, which is really fun, but we're we're digging south. So this is like our most furthest south venture we've had yet. So I think that's right, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's South County for sure. But um, if you are um, if you have a reason to go down there, that's really great. And then uh, their tasting room, which doesn't have their brewery in it. It's just a tasting room where we were at had uh, the brewery, a restaurant, and a tasting room. Oh my gosh, the restaurant was fantastic. The food is good. Yeah. And they're revamping their menu, so I imagine the food's going to actually get somehow better. But we really enjoyed the food. Don't get rid of the cheese plate, please. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. It was good. 
and um, and uh, the there the other room, the tasting room, is kind of down by the Sawdust Festival, which is right on Laguna Canyon Road. So um, those of you who've been to Laguna Beach before know that um, if you're not going um, up or down PCH, there's really sort of only one other way to get there that I know of anyway, uh, and uh, that's the 133. And when you get down there past the canyon part, uh, there's the Sawdust Festival and um, the uh, Pageant of the Masters. In that neighborhood, there's a tasting room, and that's Laguna Beach Beer Company also. So you definitely want to want to check that out. There's a lot of fancy stuff going on down there. Let's just say <laughs> that. But anyways, the best. Artsy. Artsy, artsy stuff. Artsy. But let's just say this room, uh, their tasting room, is so vibrant and colorful and welcoming. And everybody in there working is just so excited for you to even be there. It's, it's a really awesome experience. So if you guys have the chance, definitely go down to Laguna Beach and Rancho Santa Margarita, is it? That's and right. then also go to their actual tasting room in Laguna Beach. Um, but it's a great episode. Always informative. They're so open with their information. It's great. They're excited. Um, that's really, that's what I noticed. Mm-hmm. They were, um, I mean, I hope this is a product of people like actually wanting to talk to us more and knowing who we are a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But I got to say that uh, Christian and Brendan were super excited and super open with us and actually like wanted to talk to us. Uh, and we've had, you know, if you've been listening, you know, we have friends of the show that enjoy opening up about what they're doing. But um, I think you'll hear that uh, these particular gentlemen were very sunny and very proud of what they're doing. And that actually leads me to my other point, which is even though they're a little bit out of the way, um, they have some distribution going on right now, which is good for them. But uh, their beers, Mr. Maxim, your beer is about to take over the world. Um, you, uh, You have really good finishes on your beer. You have a, a broad spectrum of ideas. Um, the, the brewery has like five guest taps and then like 20 or close to 20, maybe like 17 or something. Yeah. Uh, beers that they do themselves. And we tasted as many of them as we could without, you know, falling out the door. I think my favorite part was, was like, so good. my favorite part is that like he admits to saying he brews beer for his palate rather than for, you know, the trend or what's out there and that's selling. He's more so about, you still got to make your money, but he says, you know, he makes, he makes the beer for himself. So that's kind of unique. Go to this, go to this brewery because you want this particular uh, brewer to give you what he thinks is a epitome of the flavor that should be out there. And that's unique. You don't really hear that from a lot of people. A lot of people are saying, well, I brew it because I think it's going to, be a big bang it's going to be a big buck but these guys they're saying this is what i like and this is what i'm making it's edgy i mean a lot of people brew a few beers for what they want to brew and they have other beers that they you know think that their uh audience wants to drink he's it he's edgy um he has a, a lot of experience he started out in colorado uh he's been to different regions of the country and worked with different um, independent breweries. 
and and really uh, the owners of Laguna Beach Beer Company trust him to make beers that are going to be good uh, objectively and that are going to sell at the same time. So get down there, give it a chance. This is a long episode. It's over an hour and a half. Almost, uh, almost two hours, but well, it's worth listening to. I, I, like, like this intro. Like, I, Well, okay. But I'm just saying, I don't think we cut off that much. I think most of the meat of the episode is still there. Um, and we do a couple deep dives and we have some very honest conversations about what it means to try and sell beer to the public. Like I said, Rancho Santa Margarita, if you live in Orange County, you know it's a little bit out of the way and you only get there every once in a while. It is worth your trip. Uh, you definitely have to go down and uh, see this brewery for yourself. And if you're going down to Laguna Beach proper, they have their tasting room right there on uh, Laguna Canyon Road. So thank you for listening. We hope you uh, we hope you get down there. We hope you enjoy the beer. It's a good episode, and we uh, we hope you enjoy it. Thank you, guys. Cheers. So we walked through and saw um, all of the equipment. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're working with now? I took a couple of pictures uh, of the innards of your mash ton, so we'll post those up later. But if you can kind of explain uh, what you have now and what the process is for the listeners. Right now we uh, added the 15-barrel brew house from ABE, American Beer Equipment, based out of, I believe, Nebraska. We added that in... Um, we started brewing on it, I think, January 4th. So right around the holidays was like the finishing touches. I was here like 14 hours, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, just getting the thing ready. And then um, when we did that, we also added the a, a nice 30-barrel uh, 30, 30 HLT. We bought three 30-barrel fermenters from them. So we have those three, a 30-barrel Bright from SS Brewtech, fermenter from SS Brewtech, and then three premier stainless tanks that were uh, here from Sysmontain. Right. We were uh, we were just at um, the convention for uh, California Craft Beer Association. Uh, we were looking at the SS booth, and uh, I'm just in love with everything they do. I, I can't get enough. Yeah, we, yeah. we almost like uh, made a very expensive investment of our life <laughs> savings. <laughs> just, yeah. learned to, just learned to buy everything. It's like, where can we get a loan to do this now? We, yeah. both, we both thought we had the experience from one batch. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we make one batch and now so, we should buy all of this. <laughs> you know, $50,000. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's <laughs> but their stuff is so good. And uh, with their miniature stuff for home brewers, especially, you know, I feel like we should get a sponsorship out of this. But honestly, we were, like, <laughs> we were falling all over ourselves, you know, dreaming about what we could buy. It was oh, like, yeah. we might as well have been looking at a Corvette or something. It was yep. ridiculous. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago, like, circling things in a magazine, like a kid looking at a Toys R Us magazine. Nice. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hopefully Santa will bring me this. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you uh, who are younger than a certain age, there used to be things called catalogs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where you would have to look to see what kind of toys you wanted. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, it looks very good back there. Um, tell us a little bit about the inside of uh, the brew house, the mash tun. It looks like um, you've got some really good automation in there uh, for most of it that we haven't really talked about on the show. It may be pretty common for the larger systems, but I know for a fact that that's the first time that I've really looked under the hood as it were 
for a bigger system. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit how, how, how it works as opposed to a smaller system that might be, you know, shovel in all the grain and shovel out all the grain. Yeah, I mean, the uh, best part about this system is the mechanical rakes. Uh, they can spin both ways. They're VFD, uh, so you can set it as fast or slow as you want. Um, so makes mashing in that much more of a breeze and the same with mashing out. I, this is not something I got to experience before this brew house. I always dreamed of this. Uh, in Colorado, we used the big mash paddle. We did have the auger, so we weren't uh, lugging bags up on our own. Then out here, I was lugging the bags up by my own and standing, um, stirring it with, I believe I showed you guys like the three foot pancake whisk. So <laughs> that's why I can never, that's why I can never exceed 170 pounds out here. But now, now I'm getting my weight back up. Yeah, that looks, uh, that looks like it would be a good bit of work. How big was the um, Bohemian system? How many barrels was that? It was technically a 10 barrel system, but it was vastly oversized so we could brew maybe about 14 on it just to um give uh the listeners an idea if you've been following the instagram uh you saw me mashing in uh a little bit at all american and that was a three barrel system uh and that was an awful lot of grain that we were stirring into an awful lot of hot <laughs> water um try and you know quadruple that for uh, for you know 10 or 12 barrels like we're talking about here and uh, I can tell you that is, that's a lot of work. Yeah, that's, that's a, lot a lot of back muscles. A lot of sweat got into the actual no, no. brew, but you know, the hot water. Yeah, it's pretty oily. It disinfected it. Yeah, yeah. The, the yeast that ate up all that, you know, nasty Louisiana sweat. That oh my God. All right, that's enough out of you. Well, that, used to be, that used to be one of the best parts of it, where you knew that the first thing you had to do that day was the worst possible thing you were going to have to do that day. So at least you got it out of the way and didn't have to sit around just dreading the fact that it's got to happen. You had to kick the lights on and instantly start stirring that giant batter. I think that's a, isn't that the Mark Twain quote? If uh, if you eat a frog first thing in the morning, uh, that'll be the worst thing you do all day. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, yeah. Mashing in is, is labor intensive. It can be. Yeah. But um, this system, it is a lot less so, and uh, you guys are getting an auger, uh, like, right now, right? It's it's in the works. Um, little by little, everything here is coming together perfectly. I really couldn't be uh, happier with that aspect, because we've we spent a long time, many years, like, working on some hand-me-down equipment that always wanted to fall apart, and now it's practically all brand new, like right down to the boiler we replaced two months ago, which is a very costly, um, very costly endeavor. But just today we unboxed our brand new pump, which oddly enough is the first thing I ever asked the brewery to buy because it's my favorite piece of equipment in a brewery and I believe the most necessary. So I didn't get that two and a half years ago. Um, but I'm grateful for everything, including a new brew house, five new tanks, a new boiler I got before, but my eyes lit up the most when we unboxed that pump today. So electricians were out here running some wires for us and we'll be firing that up probably tomorrow. So, uh, what you're, you're smiling ear to ear when you're talking about it, tell the listeners how that's going to make your life a lot easier. Um, it's just going to be a lot more efficient as far as everything we're capable of. It's going to clean tanks, you know, with more force. It's going to be a more sealed environment than some of these older pumps were. 
It has wheels and a pump cart, which is uh, common, but for us it was not. So we were always lugging these things around by hand. They're not light. And <laughs> so just in every, like in every aspect, it's going to make life just cleanlier, easier, and better beer is going to come from it. Um, so uh, we talked about an auger a minute ago. Just for uh, for the listeners who may not understand what that is, tell us exactly what an auger does. An auger is going to pull your milled grain from either a vessel or just a, they call a grist case, to your mash tun. So as opposed to like what we're doing now, we're milling back into the grain bags that came out of lugging those up on the brew deck one at a time and dumping them in, uh, we'll be able to mill everything at once into the one grist case. When we're ready to mash in, we'll flip, flip on the auger and that'll bring the grain up in the span of about 20 minutes um, as it send it right through the grist hydrator and there's our mash. Awesome. So yeah, nope. I'll be drinking my coffee just looking at a screen at that point, <laughs> like the big boys. <laughs> so with your uh, brewing production, do you guys stereotypically stick to a particular yeast strain or company or do you guys experiment a lot? Uh, we definitely experiment a lot since we've been trying to up production. It's a little tougher to constantly have so many different strains going in house mm -hmm. because it is a, it can be very costly. And when you do get a different strain, you'd like to reuse it as many times as you can. But if you have five core beers that are using cow ale and we have seven tanks and there's not enough, you know, finagling that you can do with that yeast to keep it alive and keep it going for five, six generations, but we always, we always have, um, obviously cow ale. We like to make a lot of stuff with our Hefeweizen has always been one of our favorite beers. Um, got a very clean zoom urich strain. Um, and London ale three is usually what we'll make most of our hazies with, but even that, uh, I'll take any recommendations as far as messing around with different things. Um, try coning out, uh, whatever works in the in the past when we didn't distribute so much we could really mess around with the yeast as much as we can like we've done i mean everything from scotch ales to english browns esbs like with nottingham and a bunch of different strains saisons with dupont strain um just to name a few i mean i can't really rattle them all off the top of my head because we were very yeastry driven when we started out because we wanted a very balanced menu with something for everyone yeah and from there we were also kind of able to gauge like people's preferences so i mean don't get me wrong one out of ten people is going to walk in here and absolutely love a belgian but that's one out of ten people and like in southern california seven or eight out of those ten are going to want an ipa so it's like you love you love getting to make a style of beer that you don't typically do, but you also got to give the people what they want in a sense. So sales uh, are sales, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. So, so the Belgians are typically not brewed in mass quantities here. Not very no. often. No. Yeah. So what's typically on the menu that you are brewing constantly? The style you said IPA, but is that the only one or is it just, um, or really, I guess the question would be, you said you used to have sort of a four core or five core beers. Um, what are what are sort of the heavy distribution 
uh, core beers that you have currently. Yeah. Our biggest seller is always going to be Thousand Steps, our core IPA, uh, 7%. We used to do, God, I won't even tell you what the old hot bill used to be. You don't even <laughs> want to know. Uh, but then we transitioned it over to a little bit of Centennial with Citra and Simcoe. Then more recently, switched out Centennial for Chinook and switched out Citra for Mosaic. So right now it's Mosaic, Simcoe, and Chinook. And it's my favorite version of it so far. And luckily some of the the bars that have been buying it for two years, they don't even they don't even say anything. I don't think they taste the difference. Um, <laughs> a true beer drinker would be able to, but yeah. Um, as long as it's delicious, I think that's all that matters. Uh, which hopefully was all along, but yeah, that's my favorite version right now. I, I used to not really sit around here drinking too much of it, and now it's one of the taps I'm standing in front of the most. And uh, for those of us who aren't uh, Southern California people, Thousand Steps has a, there's a reason that uh, that's the specific name. Uh, that's a popular surf spot about, uh, I guess, due west of here, southwest yep. from here. Yep. Is it a Thousand Steps? It just feels like it. <laughs> I think it's like exactly. 290 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's in the 200s. We have it written somewhere on like a can, like a can of ours or something. We have the fun fact, but um, so that's a uh, that's the sort of the core IPA. What are some of the other core? Are, and you're doing distribution, pretty heavy distribution on thousand steps. Is that sort of your number one seller by far? Oh, by far. Okay. Yeah. Are there, uh, what's what's like number two, what's something else that y'all are distributing? We do a, a really great hoppy West Coast kind of pale ale called Greeters. That's Mosaic and Columbus. Um, that's, again, an, a revamped recipe of a classic kind of homebrew recipe. Um, we've got a heft with guava in it called Tuava Guava. That is an awesome summer beer. We've been moving a ton of that. Uh, we'll always do a blonde ale, our second reef blonde, and then candy and red red. Those kind of round out the uh, the core portfolio. Those will always be on. And then we've always got one-off IPAs and fun experimental brews going on out here. So do you guys do your own distribution or do you use a company? Um, in Orange County, we self-distribute. Okay. Our driver handles everything. Jesus. Yeah, it's a lot of kegs. <laughs> And then we just signed on a brown bag distribution down in San Diego. Okay. We signed on about a month ago with them. Uh, uh, are you familiar with them? I haven't heard of them I'm yet. not familiar with brown bag. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Do you know? Yeah, they're a smaller company. Um, they distribute bootleggers. Another oh, okay. county brewery down there. We like bootleggers. We, yeah. We've hung out there a few times. Yeah, yeah. great <laughs> people. Um, yeah, and a lot of other kind of smaller San Diego independent breweries. Okay. So yeah. are they fairly new? Because I've literally they never They are pretty new, yeah. Okay. Because I, I did distribution for Stone for over a year, and I never yeah. ran into a, a brown bag. Or, so Good for them. We'll, yeah. have to, we'll have to reach out and find out about these uh, these little upstarts here. Yeah. Um, no, that does sound interesting. And then I noticed that um, a lot of your beer names still have the surf spot uh, themes going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell them a little bit about that, because... I, you know, if you grew up here, you kind of take that stuff for granted. But if you grew up in another part of the country, you're like, what the hell is a greeters? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So the founders of this company, they're born and raised in Laguna Beach. Um, childhood friends grew up surfing all the nooks and crannies up and down that coastline. Um, so a lot of our stuff is really tied to that community. A lot of surf breaks, a lot of ones you can't find on a map, mm. a lot of cool landmarks around Laguna. For instance, the greeter, he was a famous old character, he used to stand on the corner 
to welcome people to town. He was a, a homeless dude who became this beloved member of the community. Um, you'll find statues of him all throughout Laguna. Really? You yep. got statues of homeless men? He does, yeah. he's. That's pretty cool. <laughs> probably the most well-known homeless guy around. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's all very local-based. Um, I thought Christian would have mentioned that too, being that he's the mountain biker of us. Uh, we also like to do, between Laguna and here, quite commonly our either our IPLs or our double IPAs will yeah. name after mountain bike trails, whether in Laguna or down here. And we've gotten a lot of suggestions from just the riders who come in. So that's that's, qu cool. that's quite, yeah, I like that a lot because right now Machete's one of them, um, which is the that's, second time we've that's done. That's pretty appropriate. Yeah, the second time we've done Machete and I was, one of our regulars was just like, you should call the next IPL Machete. And I was like, sold. And <laughs> still his favorite beer, I think, because he got to name it. Then we brought it back a second time, so I think he's even happier. But it's my favorite at the moment, too. So I'm yeah. glad we got to. That's awesome. So mountain biking, huh? Oh, yeah. I do cycling, road cycling. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of those butt darts you see in the uniforms. <laughs> right in, so. To be fair, you, you do more falling off your bike than you do riding, right? Hey, I fractured my arm just once. <laughs> just, once just once. It's still fractured. That's two more months of healing. <laughs> so, um, so a lot of people might not be familiar with an IPL as opposed to an IPA. Uh, why don't we talk about that for a second? Um, yes, it's so IPA obviously is India Pale Ale. IPL is India Pale Lager. We've had the, uh, I've had the joy of being able to brew probably about six of them. Um, it's such a fun style to do because brewers and a lot of, it's gaining a lot more traction than even just brewers at this point, but brewers' favorite beers are typically clean, crisp lagers. So you combine some delicious hops in one of those beers, and it's just like a perfect storm for drinkability. So that's exactly what we're looking for, because we'd love to make lagers here with limited, somewhat limited tank space. It's a little tough to, you know, push back against the owners to try and keep making them. We've had, I think at most, we've had four of our own loggers on tap. And that was, I mean, that, a dream. Yeah, <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't leave this place. But um, right now we just have our Pilsner, which is always going to be my favorite. And the IPL is a real close runner up. I think you uh, gave me that uh, before we started talking, right? The Pilsner. Pilsner yeah. So it's, Tastes a little bitter. Do you guys dry hop that one, or um, it's not dry hop. It has a, it has a decently sized whirlpool edition, but it also has a solid bittering charge. I think that's, I mean, a pilsner is supposed to be perfect every which way. So that's What's a fun test. having a having a sophisticated palate on that one. Yeah, picking up on a little um, something different. But that is what, a lot of beer. <laughs> that is one of my favorite qualities of it. I love where if you can dial in the bitterness just right, so it just just scrapes the tongue with like every sip. Yeah. Um, when we threw it on today, Christian gave me a sample of it and knew right away just because I think it's it's pronounced, but it fades very quickly, and I couldn't be happier with it. No, yeah. I, that's what I noticed about it. I was <laughs> like, when I took a first sip, I was like, oh, I think they gave me the wrong one, and then I noticed it like went away, and I was like, oh, this is a this is a popular yeah. experience. Yeah. So, but it's really well done. So, good job. Awesome. Yeah, German pilsners can they can be quite bitter actually. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Sometimes you get it right. 
sometimes I've had beers that have gotten it wrong and it, it's a little weird, but you just cross your fingers, hope you get it right. And luckily with this batch, it's right where we want it. So well, happy about that. I hate having a lager that's way overly sweet. They, they do something to it that like, it tastes like candy almost. Yeah. Yeah, um, and it's not like the sweetness you get out of a big stout that has like a lot of sugars or something in it, or like the bourbon from a barrel age or something. It's there's something weird with that they did to it, and this I much prefer this over an overly sweet lager. Uh, yeah, completely, and that's why uh, again I think brewers some love to make them, some hate to make them because any flaw, any flaw in it, regardless, you know. If, um, if the yeast doesn't do what you're looking for, if any off flavor is so easily perceived in such a simple beer that you just can't hide anything. So um, true. brewers either look at it like a test where they think they're going to do good at it, or they look at it like a test where it's like a college kid who hasn't studied for, you know, the whole semester and they're <laughs> terrified. Like, I guess you passed. Yeah. <laughs> I, always, uh, I always compare Pilsners to... Um, sort of like a almost like a vodka it never never has so much time been spent on trying to get you know just the right amount of tastelessness you know yeah. just the, the right amount of cleanliness it is funny it's funny even for me because it's my favorite beer we make and sharing it with some of my friends who maybe aren't as into beer or something or they're drinking hazy ipas all day long you give them a pilsner and that's exactly what it is you're pretty much like taste how simple this is mm -hmm. and you know they're just like oh this is like this is like budweiser and you're like no no it's not <laughs> <laughs> um, whatever man <laughs> well that's you know and and that's the trick for um people to kind of accept that the beer that they've been drinking their whole lives and thinking is like good beer is kind of just you know the walmart of beer yeah um and uh getting people past that point like in southern california it seems like you can't swing a dead cat without getting a craft brewery which is kind of <laughs> why we're doing the podcast it's you know it's definitely what we want to do but i can tell you in other states um there are a lot more few and far between and there are an awful lot of people who are kicking back drinking you know bud light and dosekis you know, and that's really the, if you, if you bring them a batch of, um, I remember I brought, um, uh, like a 12 pack or 24 pack of, uh, ballast point to a barbecue at my in-laws in Texas. And they looked at it like it was, you know, foreign, like I brought it, you know, imported it from Europe or something. Um, and of course they liked it, but you know, they basically were poking it with a stick before they drank it because yeah. they didn't know what to expect. So um, we're actually doing pretty good on time here, but before we take like a small break, I have a personal question. Small refill break. Yes. That, <laughs> uh, real quick, I got a personal question. What's your take on hazies? Uh, I would like you to try ours and you, you can pretty much taste our take on them. I, as of like a year ago, I would probably never go to a brewery. I'm not speaking for Christian. He, he, Kid can't get enough. <laughs> no, uh, I personally, they're not for me. Uh, so we try and make ours quite different. The only thing hazy about them is really going to be the appearance. We still like to dry them out the same way we do a West Coast IPA. We still like the bitterness to be up front and, you know, a touch on the back end. Don't get me wrong. I love to make a new one every three weeks because 
that's pretty much the pace we have to do to even keep up with it. And then we don't still, but we get to use the best hops and make a delicious IPA. So ours aren't going to be exactly what you're looking or what you're used to, depending on, you know, where you're drinking them. Like I said, they're going to be drier, drinkable, all that hop flavor and aroma is still going to be there, but it's not going to be as, you know, filling, so to say, as a typical one you'd walk in and order. So that's kind of what deterred me from ordering them anymore at different places, because you never know what you're going to get. There's still a few breweries around that I think do very tasty ones, but for a lot, I think across the board, they kind of all taste the same and everybody uses the same hops, which don't get me wrong, we're using those same hops too, but it's like you pick three out of these six hops, throw, throw them in the kettle, throw them in the fermenter and call that a hazy. But I, I, I agree with you on a lot of points in that because I, I feel a lot of them have this weird chewy yes. texture to mm-hmm. them that I don't, it's either, it either works well or it doesn't. Yeah. What you're talking about the dryness aspect I'd rather have that because I I've had hazies where I'm like, oh, it just kind of has a little bit of that chewy bite, but most of the, mostly it, it's just a dryness and it still has a full West Coast type of style in it, yeah, and not fully like a yeast bomb, yes, as you know. So with that being said, Christian, yes, what are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love a well made hazy my refill, IPA. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> a good well made hazy IPA is an awesome beverage to drink. There's so many cool flavors you can pull out of them. I don't drink them very often, um, but when I find one I like, I can definitely drink it, definitely appreciate it. Um, I don't like drinking overly sweet, really, of anything. So when I get a big kind of yeasty, sweet, chalky IPA, it's not my favorite, but well-made ones, of course I'm on board. Who isn't? Yeah, See, it is. That's, fair that's such the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, I'm talking about like just trying to introduce people to, to craft beer in general. And you go right to the other end of the spectrum where like we're talking about, you know, the thinnest of margins and a differentiation between, you know, a style that has, you know, one texture versus the same style that has a little bit drier texture. And that just, I don't know, it just always amazes me, uh, you know, how here in Southern California, something that was like a fad and like the, the hip thing like 10 minutes ago can kind of already be, you know, on the way out. And now people are super discerning about it. Um, that just, you know, when the rest of the country probably is like, what the hell's a hazy idea? You know, yeah. Well, we hot and cold, we like extremes. (laughs) One thing I really do think is cool about the style is that it's a really great gateway for people into craft beer. A lot of people who have had stone IPA and Sculpin back in the day, they hate bitter IPAs. And then they'll have a, a great hazy from modern times or something. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is so good. The low bitterness, the high juice kind of. The fruity aromas, like my mom likes hazy IPAs and she doesn't even like beer. Yeah. So I think in that sense, it's really cool. It's opening people's eyes to what an IPA can be. And I'm always on board. But also like on the, you know, not to say the brewer side of that argument, but I mean, just textbook uh, style guidelines on that side of the argument. Like I've seen these hazy IPA, hazy double IPAs and they're, 25 IBUs and there's no bitterness and you're just like where like where in the you know the books of history does it do you call this an IPA like so many of them drink it's like it's like a hoppy golden stout and so for you know the my perspective it's exactly my mom drinks hazy IPAs um just like everybody else does now but 
some people like border those boundaries. I'm like, how are you even calling this an IPA based off all the information presented about it? But teach their own. <laughs> um, more and more, we've been talking about, uh, you know, sort of the gateway to judging uh, being characteristic to style. So since we're on that point, before we take a little break, we've been talking about uh, what makes something an India pale, India pale ale or an India pale lager. Um, and by contrast, uh, my uh, my wife and her friend from work are in Florida right now, and we thought it was a misprint because they said it was uh, such and such APA when they sent back an Instagram of it, which is like an American pale ale. And uh, it honestly, I, I haven't looked it up yet, but what what is the difference? What makes something an India pale ale as opposed to some other sort? Typically, the India pale ale obviously derives from the the beers they were shipping from India to England, correct? Mm. Is that right? I think that's here. a myth, but we'll go with that. I thought, I, no, I thought that was 100% true because they had to add hops. They used hops as a preservative. Mm -hmm. So that's how you got these. In the barrels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's how you got these hoppy beers or these Russian imperial stouts that the queen loved. Um, so that's going to have, in my opinion, and everybody's got their own opinion. So an IPA is going to have a lot more upfront bitterness that every sip of it's going to be bitter when a pale ale is or an American pale ale um, is going to have more of a balance to it. And it'll fade as, you know, as you continue drinking it, there'll be good hop flavor to combine it. But IPA is going to always going to have, you know, bitter through and through with a great hop flavor. And even for the longest time, I mean, in my early twenties, I wasn't a huge fan of IPAs because I was drinking East coast ones that, use a ton of crystal malt and then I came out here to the west coast and that's my favorite thing I did because I figured out west coast IPAs are the best beers around there's little to no grain presence and they let all the hops do the talking and that's when I absolutely fell in love with IPAs and it's my favorite thing to drink now. if you're not in California you're missing out yeah exactly <laughs> tell your local brewer to stop using crystal malt <laughs> stop doing crystal but that's, that also brings up a, an interesting point, you know, uh, if we're, again, thinking about a sliding scale where the, you know, the malt is more of the flavor versus the hops being the flavor, um, a lot of people wonder why, you know, what makes a, it's kind of the difference between sweet wine and dry wine. Um, a lot of people wonder, like, why is this beer sweet and malty versus some of these other beers that are dry and hoppy? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's, you know... Sometimes it's style by definition, but a lot of the times, even within a particular style, that's a conscious decision like you were just talking about. Yes. You don't want to taste, you know, too much of the grain. You don't want sweet mixed in with your hop flavor. You want the floral. You want the, you want the hops. And other people, you know, might want the malty, you know, uh, caramely taste yeah. and might think the bitterness of hops really isn't, you know, for them. But uh, that's you know, very much a regional thing here, at least on the West Coast. But I think I think it's spreading. I think people are getting slowly but surely regions as more and more people get to taste beer from other regions and start trying to brew these styles for themselves. And frankly, as, as more and more hops become more available nationwide, um, I think it's becoming more of a choice of taste and less of a, uh, a choice of region. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. I would. And like you were just saying, there's a lot of places that 
they did design the recipes that way. They wanted their IPA to be amber in color and good for them. I've had plenty of beers like that where it's like, this is well-made. Would, would I make this recipe? No, but the beer is absolutely well-made. It's not for me. Um, it's all personal preference. But going back to, I was just back in New York and there are quite a few places doing a pretty good job of West Coast IPAs and you love to see that. And then there's other places where, yeah, they'll serve you a malty looking almost brown ale and that's their flagship IPA and you're just like, okay, uh, did, you, did you pour me the right one? <laughs> it reminds me of a time, the guy from New York came into a bar I was uh, uh, bartending at and he's like, uh, you know, give me a give me a beer in his accent. And I was like, you like IPAs? And he's like, sure. And like, I gave it to him. He go, I didn't have beer. Like, slammed <laughs> back on the counter. So it's just, I think uh, sometimes, you know, that yeah. that style might, may travel slowly, but it's cool to hear that recently, maybe it's starting to pick up. Yeah, a little bit. And I mean, there's places making phenomenal beer out there. And there's places who, uh, you know, got to, go back to the drawing board every so often. That's, I mean, that's any part of the country. But. I know um, that uh, there's some real big hop farms out here on the West Coast. Uh, where are people getting their hops in the middle of the country and on the East Coast? Uh, typically from the uh, Pacific Northwest is where most of America's crop is coming from. We, A lot of us get it from the Yakima Valley in Washington. Right. But it's becoming... You know, with the whole farm to table movement, there's a lot more mom and pop farms popping up across the country. There are some in New York. There's a ton in Michigan. And it's interesting to see the same hop take on a ton of different uh, ton of different traits and taste based off the region it's grown in. Um, still, is it really the same hop if you grow it in a different? I guess so. Biologically, it would be right. I guess so, but it's, yeah, that, that one's too deep for me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not much of a botanist myself. Yeah. Ask somebody yeah. smarter no, the soil, the soil and its environment is going to affect it. Um, I mean, like you can take the same hop year by year and that's the same, you know, same genus or, you know, family. And it's going to taste different based off the environment and the weather it had all, all season. So, I would imagine, yeah, that the soil it's being buried in is across the country that it's going to take on quite a few different qualities. How um, there are there are a few uh, breweries that do vintages now. They'll say, you know, this is a 2016. Uh, I don't know what's the one that Russian River does the yearly release consecration. Of? Yeah, one of those uh, con- consecration. Oh, no, consecration. I thought was Odell. No. Or is it Russian? That's Russian. Oh, okay. Yeah. My apologies. So there's there's some breweries now that are doing, you know, yearly vintages and, and making that a big deal and saying, you know, it's stashing them away for a couple of years. Like yeah. Stone, Stone is actually pretty notorious for that too. Yeah. And, and they stash um, a lot of beer. Yeah, time. Christian was just talking about this actually. Mm-hmm. So how close are we, do you think, to uh people saying this is a this is a mosaic hop from twenty fifteen, you know, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, a couple of Somaliers. Um <laughs> I really don't know. Christian, you got any? <laughs> I mean, we burn through our hops so fast that as soon as we get them, they're pretty much going into a beer. So we're using the freshest hops we can get. I mean, hops are a living agricultural product, so you want to use them as quickly as possible. 
we're just getting into like wet hop season now. So you're going to start seeing a lot of those. But yeah, all of our stuff is from this last harvest. All right. So nobody's uh, nobody's stashing in the freezer just yet, right? Maybe for lambics, but yeah, probably not yeah. for yeah. Yes. Yeah. They want that nice cheesy hop flavor in those old school. <laughs> Which I could live without. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's different palettes yeah, for okay. different people, different strokes. Let's call it funk. So <laughs> on the, that note, why don't we take a five and uh, see what you guys are brewing. All right. Cool. All right. Let's get some beer. This is Hollywood Growler, and we'll be right back. We're back with the guys from Laguna Beach Beer Company, and uh, we've started pouring some beers. But before we get tasting, we want to plug their event that's coming up. Uh, Christian, why don't you tell the people what uh, what's next? It's Oktoberfest. Um, we are doing it on the 12th of October this year. We are going to have a ton of awesome uh, German beer on tap. Our kitchen's going to be cranking out pretzels, brats, authentic German fare. We'll have oompa music. We'll have the full works, some Stein holding contest. Uh, it's going to be super fun. Um, I'm mostly excited because we're going to have a ton of German Martins on tap which is my jam. We're going to drink steins of them. So if you're in the area, come on out. So uh, October 12th, is that the Saturday or the Sunday? That is a Saturday. All right. And uh, do you know what times you're doing that? Just the whole time you're open on Saturday? Yeah, starting at 11 a.m. All right. So if you are in the Rancho Santa Margarita area or want to come down to Grab see your leader hosen and oh boy, <laughs> get out of here. Don't, I'm, a, don't. I'm afraid to tell a funny story about that, oh, but I might as well now. Uh, we have we have a group of friends that likes to go to the Angels game on their Oktoberfest night, on their German night. And uh, they always wear funny lederhosen and encourage other people to wear costumes. If you if you search social media, you may you may see me in a funny outfit if you look hard <laughs> enough. Um, but at any rate, uh, bring your funny hats down to Laguna Beach Beer Company here in Rancho Santa Margarita and get yourself some pretzels and some Martin and uh, what'd you say, bratwurst also, right? Yes. Uh, and that does sound like a really good time. So that's their that's their new event that's coming up here. Um, yeah. It's gonna be, uh, you said October 12th, right? October 12th. Okay. Uh, and then uh, while we're plugging things, we wanna let you guys know before it runs out uh, that you can, if you missed our collab beer with All American uh, at the, uh, California Craft Brewers Association Beer Summit in Long Beach last weekend. Um, that beer, our, our collab beer called Hollywood, is uh, going to be on tap at the All-American Tasting Room. So run over there and try and get some before it runs out. Um, that was a grapefruit IPA that we spiked with uh, some tart cherry and some sweet cherry and some lime. Uh, it sounds a little bit Kool-Aid when you say it out loud, but it did not come out sweet. That's not what we were shooting for. Um, it's got a really good late summer uh, grapefruit IPA with some layers in it that are, are pretty interesting. So uh, those are our little plugs for the week here. Um, and we are going to start by talking about uh, a beer that we uh, were sort of tasting at the bar over the break that is a New Zealand IPA with the hops all the way from New Zealand. So uh, Brandon, why don't you tell us about that? So you guys are sipping on, sipping on our kapai. We were able to get our hands on some YT, which is one of my like most desired hops that I've been trying to use my whole career um, based off everything I read about it or any beers I had tasted with it. I had never seen it available anywhere. Lucky enough was 
um, able to find it on a spot market a couple months ago. And we didn't want to just throw it in a hazy IPA combined with three other hops. We really wanted this to be front and center to see what it does. So we combined it uh, probably about two parts to one with Moteca. Um, Motueka, I guess, if you want to pronounce it correctly, but we were really happy with the outcome of this. Got a ton of stone fruit flavors from the YT with just a cut of like the citrus lime from the Moteca. The YT is so low in alpha, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, typically, they're going to be anywhere from 7 to 15 percent, depending on the style. The YT was 1.5% alpha, so certainly not anything you'd want to try and bitter a beer with. So knowing that, the Motueka seemed like a good uh, good play as well, because that bitterness seems to linger a little longer than uh, other different strains, and very happy with the outcome. So uh, is the Motueka also from New Zealand? Yes, it is. Motueka is a town in New Zealand. That's okay. what it's named after. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you used a little bit of lingo there. So the hops obviously come from New Zealand, but you were able to order them through uh, through a service, right? Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. The service, it's very common. It's BSG, um, Brewer Supply Group, sorry. Uh, that's where we get the majority of our grain combined with them or country malt. Both places have warehouses here in San Diego. They deal, they're just a big supplier, almost kind of like a brewer's, say, you know, supermarket or Walmart. So they deal directly with the vendors, directly with the hop farms, and then can facilitate the sales to, you know, smaller breweries like us that aren't buying directly in hundreds of thousands of pounds from a farm they own or... So you, you just see YT on a, on a catalog or an online menu and, uh, you know, you jump on it before all these other suckers who haven't heard <laughs> of it uh, can know can know what they're missing. Is that what happens? Yeah. And I mean, most any good hops that show up there, most brewers know, you know, very well about them. Or if you see something, anytime I'm on there and see something I haven't heard of, I Google it and half the time buy it like, hey, let's try it out. So they don't stick around very long. I think these spot lists are updated almost daily. It says right on there when you load up the page, it's last update. So you know if it's something you already saw or not. And it's always nice to come by something new and find out exactly what it's going to do in your beer. So you said this one was particularly desirable. And when you said it, you had a glint in your eye like it was a baseball card you really <laughs> wanted. Um, where, uh, what, what, uh, turned you on to this style of hop and, and what made you uh, basically seek after it or jump right on it when you saw it? Uh, the main reason is I, I've hardly ever had a hop from New Zealand that I didn't find very tasty or didn't think it translated well in a beer uh, if used properly. But YT, I think more than anything, it was the chase because it's a name I've seen in books and everything or just articles online and just never once seen it available for commercial, you know, commercial use. So I was very excited to get one and we're still sitting on one more box of it for, you know, something we choose. But it'll be uh, it'll be something special. That's for sure. Right on. Um, all right. Uh, so we wanted to talk about that since we talked about it over the break. We wanted to make sure that uh, we didn't let that get away. Um, 
right now in front of us, this is, uh, is Tuava one of your core beers? It is. Okay, so this is gonna be Tuava Guava. Yes. Um, I'm gonna take a big hit of that because I, uh, I haven't tasted it at all yet. And you guys can tell us all about it. Yeah. Yeah, so this is our take on the American Hefeweizen. Um, super clean, citrusy yeast profile. And then we hit it with hundreds of pounds of pink guava. Um, this was kind of a one-off beer that we did uh, last summer. And it was just super popular. It sold super fast through the tasting rooms. We were getting people asking about it nonstop. So we decided to kick it back into production this summer. I think we're on our third or fourth batch in the last couple of months. Um, oh, more than that. More I think that. I think at one point we had, gearing up for summer, three of our seven tanks had this beer. Well, you've uh, got to try this. Um, Hefeweizen, you, you guys have heard me talk about how uh, it took me a while to, you know, sort of hold my nose and, and start trying more sours because I wasn't into it. Uh, Hefeweizen is not usually something that I'm going to pick off of a menu. Uh, I am happy to be wrong uh, in this case. This is a really good Hefeweizen. Um, the next thing I'm going to ask is what they did different uh, to make this such uh, so smooth and, and frankly less... Um, banana and clove? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I hate the banana and clove. Yeah. Um, so I'm right here with you guys. That's exactly why we use this this yeast strain um it's as clean and you know the least amount of phenolic off flavors or pofs if you will out of any hef strain i've ever seen don't get me wrong every once in a while i can drink a nice you know german hef that's chock full of those flavors and i'm content but if i'm going to make one i really wanted something that's going to translate borderline as clean as cow ale would so we chose that strain we actually fermented as cold as we possibly can because that's also going to help deter any of those flavors coming through so as christian said it's actually going to leave a pleasant like citrus note and really let's the you know large dose of weed in there shine through you can even smell it and as far as the guava, the same way we do with most of our beers, we like fruiting it just enough to complement the beer so it's a flavor within the beer as opposed to being, you know, beer-flavored guava juice. Because yeah. we don't want to uh, we don't want to ruin that. So, well, I I felt like we bagged on a, a whole style for a second, so I do want to walk that back a tiny bit. What I really feel is that Hefeweizens maybe are a regional thing that just don't travel as well as some other styles. Like if we were, you know, in Germany, I'm sure we could find Hefeweizens that would be like, this is amazing, oh, this yeah. is perfect. But I'm not sure that, you know, uh, other water profiles and, and other regions are as well equipped to get it right, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. Oddly enough, the one of the best beers mm -hmm. I've ever had in my life was at a place called Liquid Bread in Hayes, Kansas. And... They had an American Hefeweizen, and that's, I would never, I wouldn't even put that in my top 10 styles, but this is probably in my top, probably in my top five beers I've ever drank in my life. It was like liquid gold. And every sip me and my buddies had from when we were sitting there to the growlers we took to go, every sip, each one of us was like, this is so good. Like, no, really, this is so good. Like, this is amazing. Like, just, <laughs> 
till you finish. I love when you find a beer like yeah. that. Yeah, like yeah. Every sip, until like you finish the pint, and you're like, "How do we get back to Hayes, Kansas?" Oddly <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, enough, yeah, it was an American hat, and it was phenomenal. Did, so, you, did you were you able to talk to the people there about it at all? Or? I was not at that point. I was on a road trip. I dropped in like we took our growlers to go, but. Um, on the way home six months later is the first destination on the road trip back. <laughs> That's awesome. So, sometimes I'm asking a question because I want the, the listeners to get something unpacked and I kind of know the answer already. This one, I don't know the answer at all. What is the difference between a German Hefeweizen and an American Hefeweizen style-wise? So that's going to be the yeast character that we've mentioned. The Bavarian style Hef is the one that you think of tons of banana, tons of clove, fine Stefaner, Franziskaner. That's your classic Bavarian Hef. Um, this strain comes from uh, the Widmere Hefeweizen. Uh, so totally different strain of yeast. Um, a lot cleaner, less phenolic. Um, I will take that pass you were putting up earlier, and I ride hard for German styles. I'm madly in love with Hellas, um, Pilsner, things like that. And I do love a good Bavarian Hef every now and then, but we brewed this as more of a daily drinker. Um, it is a Hef first that has a lot of guava flavor, but we consciously made that decision to go for a cleaner, less prominent yeast characteristic in the beer, so it'd be more drinkable. Totally. Um, we canned this a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago. It's kind of a perfect pool beer, beach beer. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I want to put my sunglasses on. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah you got to be outside to drink this one. So I've noticed that um, when it comes to the Bavarian styles, sometimes it's just too hot to drink those beers. You know, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's beers that Germans drink in summer that aren't as heavy and fruity, mm -hmm. you know, that's probably why they have Pilsners, for instance. Yeah, in the Hellas. But uh, since we don't really have winter here in Southern California, there's just something about drinking a Belgian style or a Bavarian style in the heat that uh, isn't as pleasurable. I don't know, I, you know, I, I don't know exactly why that is. I don't yeah. know if it's because it's too sweet or if it's because it's too yeasty mm -hmm. or, or what, but, you know, I think a lot of the a lot of the reasons why people are are not uh, a necessarily focused on those styles in terms of brewing is because there's not as much demand. But b, you know, people just don't want to drink those heavy beers yeah. when they're already sweaty. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've noticed that, but I started noticing that with all kinds of regions, just in the U.S. Even like, an Anchor Steam does taste better in San Francisco. <laughs> I don't know why, but it does. It does. You know, Abita tastes better in New Orleans, although Abita travels pretty well, actually. But um, okay, it does. Uh, you know, Dan, some, Dan's wearing his Abita shirt. Yeah, today, that's true. So. I forgot that. Sponsored by. Sponsored. Yeah. Well, one day, one day we'll get we'll do a podcast with them too. Easy. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, you know, some of these heavier Belgian beers and heavier Bavarian styles. Um, I feel like you almost have to like go over there to really find, you know, what they what they've got, what's special about them. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Guys, but this is spectacular. Yeah. This Excellent is, job. Uh, you know, you. I don't I don't know what a German uh, would think about this Hefeweizen. <laughs> they might be like, "What the hell is this?" I'm, but I'm uh, pretty yeah. sure all Germans. This does not comply with Red Heights yeah. 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 I don't think they're very happy with anything that we do over here because it's the <laughs> Wild West of beer. So. It is. That's that's actually pretty true. 
Because over in Germany, isn't it the bunch of rules on everything right, that you buy? Yeah. yeah. So you yeah, can't yeah. more ingredients. More ingredients. It. I mean, uh, you well, know, is not one. <laughs> <laughs> so. so wait a minute. Are you telling me that it, uh, in Europe they you're you basically can't fruit beer ever? They just never do that. No, no, you totally can. This okay. was a thing in the 1500s. No, a, I knew that. It was a health yeah. purity law. Yeah. To keep beer safe for human consumption, that but, those are the only four ingredients. Mm. But that tradition still pervades. Yeah. I mean, Munich still has their kind of big five breweries: uh, Augustiner well, and Spaten and Moenbra and all those. Yeah. Yeah. And they brew a Hellas, a Dunkel, maybe a Oktoberfest. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't there a law in, in Germany, I forgot what city it's in, but if the beer is not brewed within those city limits, you, it's illegal to call it a Oktoberfest. Yeah, Munich. 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 Yeah. yeah, there it is. Yeah, I knew that one. It's, yeah. But yeah, that just seems a little absurd, but also, you know. Well, they're protective. I mean, you know, that in with wine, you know, they're very protective of their regional labels because they don't want people uh, basically doing copycats yep. of their of their styles and their grapes they wanted to, to keep the exclusivity frankly it's a little shocking that we don't do that more with beer but in america we don't really believe in that sort of thing if you right. can brew it and people want to buy it you can call it almost whatever you want yeah pretty much yeah out here it's it's a wild west you're you're kind of right about that i never really thought about it that way but now that i have i feel like i should be wearing a cowboy hat <laughs> <laughs> our brewing scene on a whole is so young oh yeah and I feel like we the 1600s. Well, it, it's interesting to me because we have these styles like guava, mango, whatever you want to say. Yes, yeah. we, we're putting the label of Hefeweizen on it, and you know, it's almost offending to these countries that've been brewing for hundreds of years, <laughs> and they say that, and they're like, "It's, it's horrible. It's trash." You know, you're you're disgracing the name that we've been doing for so long. Yeah. But at the same time, you go, "It's been a couple hundred years. Isn't it time for?" things to change a little bit yeah <laughs> so, you know, so we're definitely pioneering uh, let's put it that way yeah 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 it's a playful spirit in the craft beer industry which is really cool yeah can't wait to see what you can get at a brewery in 10 years from now <laughs> it will even be beer yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> be beer by that time or will sorry, be, uh, the hard hard seltzer facilities oh, 10 years Lord, from now. coming soon <laughs> no, do not get me started on that i have a friend we went to a football game on sunday saints lost rams won drew Brees got hurt all right I'll just, rams let's just house get, yeah let's just get all that out of the way because connor was going to say it if i didn't say it um Boo anyway who yeah yeah <laughs> All right, so <laughs> totally gonna Salty. start a fight. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> so my friends uh, were, you know, the people that I went with were younger, even even younger than Connor, um, and uh, they had like, you know, ice chests full of this hard seltzer, yeah. and I was like, this is so the Zima of their generation. Yeah. And I said that to them, and they weren't quite what Zima like they've heard of it, but they obviously didn't live through it. And so, uh, you know, they really don't know just how much of a fad that was. That's got to drive you guys crazy to, like, see people drinking, you know, fizzy malt liquor, basically. <laughs> clear, clear fizzy malt liquor. Well, I was, I was actually, we were both at uh, Out of the Park Pizza last night, and there was, on the board, hard seltzer, and I was like... They had it on tap? They, they did. Not. They did. How do you even get that? I, I, I I'm know. still confused. Like... There's a lot of a lot of big name breweries, and even now, you know, the mid-sized and small breweries are still starting to starting to like delve into that market. Um, it's been a discussion here too. 
Well, you gotta, I, you gotta make, <laughs> you gotta make money, right? So you gotta go yeah. with the fad. At I mean, what cost, sir? <laughs> no, I, I'm, with, I'm with you there, and I still am very. I haven't looked into how they're even made because I'm not curious. Well, so. yeah, that's the thing, right? It's not even the I'll same just, yeah. process. So how I'll just are, play ignorant the whole time and be like, I don't think I'm capable of doing this. <laughs> I don't know how to make that. We do not have the equipment full-size brewery. We <laughs> <laughs> need another club. <laughs> just tell them that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, kids. Back in my day, awesome. if you wanted a hard seltzer, you just had a set of seven and seven. You called it a day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's hilarious. It sounded like an old man, like, get off my lawn just then, didn't it? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think you're, you know, I'm slowly trending that direction anyway. I mean, can you lean into the mic and tell us your age? <laughs> Don't I'm worry, still 41. I used to sell Zivas from my friend's mom, still. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I knew you guys were, like, the right yeah. age to get that. I pray to God our listeners were too, but <laughs> but you never know. Podcast fifteen year olds out there listening yeah. to craft beer podcasts. Yeah, podcasts are a young man's game. <laughs> it's true. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> um. So uh, this has been uh, fantastic. Where what are we going to try next? Are you going but, for the IPL? Yeah, we are oh, going to do machete, about, yeah. the India Pale Lager. Um, like Brendan mentioned, Machete is named after a local mountain bike trail. Super fun ride. Um, mosaic and Kazbek with a big mosaic dry hop in it. Um, it's my favorite beer. I think it's a lot of people who work here's favorite beer. Um, I'll go get some in the glass and bring it over and we can dive Sweet. in. Sweet. Um, and while he's going to pour real quick, I'm going to make you explain the difference between an ale and a lager to the uh, to the nice listeners here. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> so uh, we know that um, it's going to be a different strain of yeast for an ale and a lager, of course. Yep. And, and there's going to be a different technique it's for the, the yeast. It's the yeast-derived qualities that are really going to give it all its flavor. So the ale, depending on what temperature it ferments at, it varies strain by strain, but typically somewhere in the mid-60s mid to low-70s, you'll get a touch of fruity esters, usually pretty clean if you go on the colder side, but it's always going to translate different strains. You can get anything from... I mean, bready notes to hints of cherry flavor or just, you know, sweet candied like mango. If it also, you know, there's a ton of other things that are going to affect that. But and then the higher you get, that's when you're looking at Belgians. You can let those free rise into the 80s or something like that. And that's when you'll start getting the banana and clove, um, heavy phenolic flavors. And then there's other beers. Also, if you go higher than that with certain strains, you're going to get terrible flavors like lipstick and ethyl alcohol that you really lipstick don't want. Lipstick is a flavor? Oh, you ever, yeah. You ever kissed a girl there, Connor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My mom. <laughs> but the lager strains have just been fermented cold for... Thank you. They're fermented cold, so that's just going to leave them clean, crisp, with very minimal... Um, very minimal flavor to it, aside from a touch of min minerality, sulfuric, and 
it's just, you know, hint of a bready note. They just come out clean um, from its cold fermentation. I believe that's going to be its biggest factor. The fermentation is going to be a lot more finicky because of that. And sometimes when you're worried about lager, taking its readings every day and watching its activity, you yeah. just want to let the thing rise up into the 60s and know it'll start ripping away. But you have to be patient. It's a lot slower. It's a lot more tedious. But the outcome uh, is exactly... You know exactly what people who like lagers are looking for. So, well, isn't a uh, lager in German to wait or to sit or something to store? To store, store. there you go. Okay. Store. So, the lagers take time, and ales typically are brewed in a quicker pace as well. Yes, exactly. Okay. And that, uh, they used to, you know, where that came from, whether it's old wives' tale hearsay, they store them in basements. So, that's how that's how it. You know, this, I would imagine the yeast strains from like we were talking about back in like the 1600s, um, they just mutated over time to adjust to that. Like, mm. you know, like any sort of evolution. <laughs> um, uh, so just became just adjusted to ferment, fermenting in such an environment. And that's why it's still cultivated to this day from those original strains and they're just that much more powerful and conducive at cold temperatures so interesting you used a a little bit of a term of art that um i know we haven't really talked about we seem to be talking more and more about yeast lately um you said esters um why don't you define that for us if you can esters is going to be I would say, and you know, the way I view it is kind of more of a spicy, like spicy flavor derived from yeast and fermentation. Whether you want to call it rosemary or uh, kind of the earth, kind of the earthier tastes that come from yeast, right? Yes. Yeah, it's um, we are not cicerones. We uh, we don't have the definitions to a lot of these things, but it's uh, it's one of those kind of. I don't even know how you describe it. It's it's a flavor you've all experienced many times that you haven't described. It's that kind of spicy, fruity, kind of back of the mouth flavor that you'll get, especially from a lager strain. Yeah. Somebody who is a Cicerone can answer this question. Yeah, Wait, you dial can? it in. Well, like, you guys' hey. level of knowledge already. I mean, I've passed the level one. You know, there's like three, maybe, I think they might have added another one. But like the first test, it's it's pretty basic, yeah. common knowledge. I, I have that one, but you guys already know a lot more than me, as it appears. I mean, obviously. So you guys definitely have Cicero knowledge. Don't yeah. don't, don't tell yourself me. short. Yeah, just don't, don't fact yeah. check anything we say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we get things wrong, but believe me, we get things wrong all the time. That's a running gag. Oh, Dan was wrong about that one. Um, when does this air? I should put my resume together. Oh uh, <laughs> no! Come on. Um, so, okay, this is, uh, the IPL. Yes. Okay. It is great, by the way. Yes, this is the, uh, the return of Machete, because it is... <laughs> it's Machete, too. <laughs> it's it's, it's up movie. there. <laughs> it's not. It's either the it's first or second best IPL we've done. The first one was called Horse Thief, uh, drastically different hop combo. That's such a good name. <laughs> I, I like that trails. one too. Half the reason we re like remade this one was because of the name. I was like, well, they can't 
they can't pick another name on me and I like machete. So like do a similar recipe. But this is grain bill, very similar to how I'd like to make a you know West Coast IPA. It's pretty much all Pilsner malt. There's just a small percentage of Vienna. And from there we huge whirlpool additions, decent bittering charge at the beginning. So it's not gonna be as upfront bitter, but there's a nice solid finish to it that just kind of, you it know. lingers in a good way. Like some aftertastes are yeah. like, no, that's not a good aftertaste. This, this one, this one, yeah. I mean, if that's what you get, I find this one has a bitter, bitter finish and then dissipates. Like I would say it doesn't linger, but. Okay. Again. I mean, you're the brewer. I'm not going to. No, I'm not. No, I'm Once not. Once again, Dan was wrong. No, no I'm not. Taste right. is 100% <laughs> yeah. subjective. Exactly. I'm not no, right about this. Come on. No, no. Taste is. See, that's another thing. Everybody's like, taste is subjective. <laughs> yeah. Your personal, like, what you like and what you don't like may be subjective. Okay, that's But fair. what's going on with the beer, if you're paying attention, is usually pretty objective. It, no, I think it varies because I still do most of my off-flavor testing here when we're checking beers along their way with Christian and every day into a dry hop or during transfer, just before transfer, I taste most everything with Christian and we can pick up two, you know, not to say drastically different profiles, but it's, it's never exactly the same. Like we never look at each other and at the same time we're like mango, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's, it's sadly gonna, me and Connor do that all the time. <laughs> Damn it. It's, it's, it's always going to vary. Yeah. <laughs> well, with the, what I was going to say about this one is at first I couldn't really pick up on that, that uh, those molds that you're talking about, because usually those are more the prominent, what I've noticed with IPLs yeah. on the market that are bigger. Um, you'll get more of that sweet, you know, malt flavor rather yeah. than the bitterness. But this has a very strong IPA sense to it. Very serious, yeah. And like, it's like the undertone of that sweet malt. It's it's like, well, it's commercial breweries just aren't using as much hops as the craft breweries, right? I mean, isn't that really the crux? But yeah, that's what I was going to say. At first, I just thought it was a regular IPA. And then yeah. I was like, oh, wait, there is that sweet undertone. And it's not the typical IPA malt. You know, so it's not as big and yeah. crazy and in your face. It's very like subtle. Mm -hmm. Works well, you guys. I'm impressed. So between yeah. all the beers Thank that you. you threw in my face today, so yeah, this that's the other thing. I don't. I just don't have as much experience with IPLs. I'm. A, I, I had the same sort of feeling is that I'm not used to uh, drinking uh, a lager that's this hop forward. I'm kind of having to like adjust yeah. my sensibility to like kind of get all the layers you know yeah yep. but there's yeah. there's a lot going on yeah it is it that, is quite complex this one in particular for sure you know and that's good maybe call it like the middle of the finish you get that kind of sulfuric ready lager note uh -huh. and just before that is when you're going to get that tropical like mosaic flavor from just math you know a massive dry hop of mosaic and then we combine that with Kazbek, which is one of the uh, few uh, Czech hops. Sauce is the most common, the noble hop. So that's where you get that kind of spicy, you know, that kind of spicy noble character combined in there. So it tastes like a true lager, you know, it really does taste like a true lager that was just kind of hopped to the gills <laughs> and yeah. bittered with an bittered with American Chinooks. I guess maybe that's what I'm getting that's lasting, because you're right, the, the beer taste 
you know, doesn't have like an aftertaste, but the hops I'm getting a lot of, especially in the back, yeah. like you they're were very saying. Expressive, yeah. Yeah, expressive. That's a good word. Yeah, yeah that works. I was going to say, I don't know if they're lingering or I'm just drinking it too fast. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just taking a sip every 10 seconds. Well, well you Call used that a, be- a better word than I did. It's the ready. No. Uh, I think that's what I meant by like the sweetness. Like that's what I, that's what I was tasting. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, dude, this is really good. What's the percentage on this one? It's at six, one or six, two, six, one. So it can basically be an IPA. But no, it's, six, no, it's, no. No, it's, it's not an ale. I mean, it's a lager. No, so I, it's I, different. That no, I know. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like, just with the flavor characteristics to it, it almost like it's, it's very elusive. Yeah. This is a really fun beer. From a bartending and educational standpoint, when yeah, people that's come true. There's here, lots to talk about. There is, and people come in and they say, "What's your hoppiest beer on the menu?" And they're looking at all of our IPAs, and I say, "Try this," and they go, "No, I don't like lagers. It's it's cool. I want an IPA. I'm like, just try it." Yeah. And a lot of people really kind of dig it. Hopheads, a lot of people who love their bitter West Coast IPAs. It's fun to kind of broaden their horizons a little bit. Yeah, and show them kind of what a lager can be. No, it's it's phenomenal. I'm you guys are surprising it. Uh, me personally today. It's it's awesome. Well, the yeah. other thing is that you know I, I feel like people are like well like the opposite of what you said. You know, hopheads. A lot of people are like, well, I don't really like hoppy beer, and it's like then you don't really like beer. Like you just don't. You know, you like you basically like licking beer flavored candy. You know. Yeah. Um, because the hops are you know pretty much what makes beer beer. I mean, it's it well. It's definitely one fourth of what makes beer beer, right? <laughs> um, and uh, I'd have to run the numbers, but <laughs> well, you know, it's you got your water, you got your yeast, yes. and you got your malt, and you got your hops. So if you're turning, if you're just slamming the door on hops because you don't like the bittering part of the hops, you're really just cutting your cutting yourself off. Um, and let me let me just speak directly to you, person who doesn't like hoppy beer. You're missing out. What you don't like is the thickness and the, the the hops that go in in the boil and go in early. If you ask your beer tender, hey, when do the hops go in? And the beer tender goes, oh, they go in in the whirlpool stage or the later stage. That means that you're going to get the florals, uh, the big nose, you're going to get the flavors without getting the, the heaviness and the bitterness that you don't like. So um, I'm very big on trying to just like get people to open the door um, for themselves because I feel like once they do, they won't turn back. It's it's definitely a one-way door and this has got so much going on. And I, and I think a lot of people also don't realize, sorry, I hope I'm not cutting you off, mm-hmm. but people who like the, the malt, keep, <laughs> people who like the maltier side of of beer their brown owls ambers reds and stouts like brown brown owls and stouts and all those beers could be some of like there's tons of hops in all those beers like you look at imperial stouts some of them are 80 ibus like they're very bitter it's just the bitterness is balanced against those sweet flavors because otherwise it would it would taste like you were drinking a you know milkshake that had melted Mm, so that's good that's what yeah. <laughs> well coming in we'll the kitchen with the ups up yeah. <laughs> well I, I know that the malt balances the sweet profile the alcohol content and the color literally the hops are just one minute uh, you know one small aspect which yeah. is the bitter 
So when you take a really high ABV beer, the more alcohol, the more malt, the more sweetness. So when you have that high of alcohol, what's the trick to make a beer that's like 10% bitter as well? Because that malt build is going to really overtake mm -hmm. the flavor profile of that beer. So what what is what is it that is it a secret? I don't no, know, like, I, it's not really a secret. It's it's honestly the same thing as in those beers that the bitterness is actually going to play well with with that alcohol content. So if you just had you know an eight percent beer with zero IBUs, it would taste it would taste warm. It would taste hot. Like you'd be drinking, you'd essentially be drinking alcohol. Yeah. So it's that bitterness. Of, that plays well with it and i've told a lot of people this like i've been a bartender at my breweries in the past as well and people come in you know the standard person who's like oh i don't like ipas i don't like ipas and i've explained to them that like if you don't like ipas you might actually like a double ipa because totally. they seem to be more balanced between a little more malt presence giving it a touch of sweetness is balanced off, you know, a touch of alcohol warmth and then balanced back off, you know, hop bitterness and hop aroma. So plenty of times I've given, you know, people who didn't even like IPAs a double IPA and they were like, no kidding. So, yeah. well, actually my, my first, uh, like I, I never was a drinker my whole life, even through high school, even though all the cool kids are doing it, but I never was. <laughs> I never was a big drinker. I didn't like beer. I didn't like anything like that. And then um, I started working for Hangar 24 Brew. And I tried the orange wheat. And I was like, meh, it just tastes like carbonated orange juice. Um, and then I tried their double IPA. And it blew my mind. Yeah. Because it's so sweet. And it's so smooth. And it's 9% alcohol. Yeah. I had no idea that beer could be that. So and it's like true. Like you give someone a double, that's a really good introductory beer. I didn't even ever thought about that. So. Yeah. <laughs> Especially now with hazy IPAs. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, like a hazy double. Big eight hazy double IPAs. It was the beginning of the end for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and certainly, here we are now. Certainly the beginning of the gut for you. <laughs> and me too. Poor liver. Occupational yeah. hazard. It's true. We're going on a diet after this podcast. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. Um, okay, so the, uh, Christian has brought over the next sample here. These pores are, uh, we were promised these pores were going to get smaller, but they're not. It's all right. We're going to be fine. That was an ounce smaller. I'm just going to have to go eat a pizza before you. <laughs> we have a kitchen. It's yeah. We have to eat some pizza before us. we leave. I know. We're going to do the food podcast after this. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. So uh, this is the uh, the next sample. And this is? This is Thousand Steps. This is our flagship West Coast IPA, Mosaic Simcoe. Clean. Kind of new age. I will say I don't want to go up a thousand steps, but it's nice. Could you? <laughs> That's what <laughs> I'm saying. Yeah. Not, after, not after you drink beer. <laughs> You're supposed to surf, then drink your beer. Not, not the other way around. <laughs> uh, I've done both. <laughs> there, you there you go. The natives, the natives have spoken. Yeah, this is like the IPA that I want to just pound and it's delicious and i can keep drinking it until i fall over yeah because it's not it's not aggressive in any way it has no. like it has a nice after flavor i feel like the bitterness kind of lingers a little mm -hmm. bit but it's not 
There's nothing overly aggressive about it. Though. Yeah, See, this is the this is yeah this is a good introductory IPA, but this is trending more towards the flavors that people are less comfortable with because of the you know the West oh, Coastiness. Yeah. But I think it's really good. Like if you like IPAs, this is right up your alley. Definitely. So this is a uh, this is really good. What um what would you say is sort of the distinguishing characteristic of this particular IPA? I think it's drinkability. I think the refreshingness of it. This is an IPA that you could drink a crowler of and have no palate fatigue, no exhaustion at the end of it. It's not taxing on the palate. We really like to design beers that are nice to drink multiple pints of mm -hmm. instead of one and done, kind of blow your palate out. So and this it's is not an idea. That's my favorite style of beer. Right? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is an IPA you can have more than two or three of, which some IPAs are absolutely amazing for the first pint, but it's not something you'd want to sip on all night. Yeah. yeah. This is something you could drink during the day. Totally. You could keep them going. Um, yeah, we have cool. other stuff on tap that's much more in your face, much more aggressive. But for this one, we really tried to dial it in. Yeah, that's what I that's what I noticed with the ones that we've had so far is that you guys have like this drinkability characteristic yeah. to it. It's not the flavors are all perfectly balanced. It's not like over the top. Like even the guava one, the yeah. guava's in it, but it's not it's not the guava that makes the beer. So, yeah, thank you for saying that. Yeah, yeah. that's really um, what we shoot for. Yeah. I feel like this one's moving into like the evening time beers though. Like this is like. This is your after work five o'clock, five thirty beer. Like this is well, that's because oh, yeah. it's your fifth. Yeah. <laughs> you think so? You think I'm just counting? <laughs> I mean, no. this is still a very hoppy beer. Yeah, it's a, it's still a West Coast IPA. It's yeah, not is, a, it's not a, a sun, This is a sun going down beer for me. I know, but yeah, like this is like your happy hour beer. Exactly. Yeah. This is, this is me with a crowler at, you know, front stage Coachella beer. So. And, oh, yeah. you, you would drink this at noon? Yes. Just sweat it, just sweat it out? Just sweat it out. 112 degrees. And I, I still find this one quite bitter. I mean, I think it's drinkable, but I've, I've had people tell me, like, oh, it doesn't seem that bitter. I'm like, I mean, based off the amount of hops I've put in everywhere in, in making this beer, like... I know, I know it's bitter. Yeah, I would no, never care. I would never characterize this as not, not bitter. No, yeah. not very, very I think it translates well um, when you were talking about describing it. Very simple malt bill, got a little more, little two row to complement the pilsner, so it's got a touch more bodiness or bodiness, touch more body, and <laughs> I love bodiness. Her, I love uh, yeah, body. <laughs> touch more bodiness. But, but it's true. I don't know why two row is a little bit more earthy, but I'm starting now that I know the difference. Well, like I would I say, notice. I wouldn't say earthy. The best way I would describe it. So Pilsner, Pilsner is going to be bready yeah. when two row is going to be doughy. And then when okay, you when you that. deal yeah, with like yeah. the golden golden promise and like the Maris Otter, then it's going to be grainy. So it's very very small distinctions like. I would say the average person, if I made the same beer with Pilsner as a base or Turo as a base, wouldn't be able to pick up much of a difference at all. But that that's a simplistic way to look at it, you know, between bready, doughy, and grainy. Okay. I like that. But so lay that base. Oh, get run back and forth. Get, I'm sorry. Get, Christian's trying to get nice bitterness. Yeah, the calories. Like <laughs> nice bitterness through and through. The Simcoe is going to keep it West Coast, like keep it West Coast just dank you know totally. dank on that end just like the kids like 
and then the mosaic, <laughs> and then the mosaic combined with it is just gonna keep it, give it like that bright, like it, it was keg today type flavor. So when, uh, um, when are you putting in the Simcoe in the in the brew on this one? Are you putting it in? It's uh, um, there's there's actually a ton of late additions. It's got more hop additions than any beer we make. Um, six to be exact on the on the hot side. Wow. And. Yeah. Is so, that during the boil or is that after you're done? Um, five or during ones at Whirlpool. But okay, okay. I mean, I've always called that outside because 205 degrees or so is still I'd hot. still consider hot. Right. You can't dip your fingers in there. But, but um, this no, is definitely I mean, during. Once, you know, flame out, if you call it. Yeah, there's one addition after flame out. But, but this is definitely during the boil. I oh, mean, yeah. there, nobody's, nobody's yeah. ever going to mistake this for a. Uh, just a whirlpool edition. No, yeah, no, no. Exactly. You're getting you're getting the full punch of the Simcoe for sure. I think yeah. I'm for sure taking a crown of that home. That's yeah. that's really really good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. there's, there's, like, there's hops this everywhere. Is the, this is the IPA he lives for. <laughs> yeah, that style. You, you you nailed it on the head. It's it's phenomenal. I love awesome. It. And that's so funny though. Like um, for instance, when we tasted um that white claws from uh Bottle Logic and Matt, our friend Matt had like raved about it. The yeah. instant I tasted it, I was like, of course Matt liked this. Like, I'm starting to, like, sort of get a vibe for other people's uh, yeah, palettes at this point. Like, yeah. you know who would like this beer because they like this style? Like, I'm start, kind of starting to, like, pick up on that. I don't know. Yeah. I guess you guys kind of have that all the time since you're tasting 20 beers a day all the time. Yeah. But, um, if you've had any of our beers, you know Brendan's palate. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that's true. Because yeah, he yeah, brews to what he wants to drink. <laughs> I mean, and how uh, honestly, how else could you do it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what? Like, if you Don't told worry. Me there's it. a couple of, up there that I didn't, you know, I didn't selfishly brew, but. <laughs> uh, but that, I, I bet you that took more practice, though. Like, honestly, to get outside of your own personal preference is probably pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not even that way. I don't I don't brew for the taste I'm looking for. I just as we talked about, I brew for the drinkability. I I brew. I like to brew something that you put down one faster than you thought you would and you're on your second, you know, before you're even thinking about it. And it tastes good the whole way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So You don't get and, tired of I it. I mean, I, I grew up that way with Brooklyn Brown Ale or something. Any beer like that where you bought a six-pack and before you knew it, you were like, this is the last one. Like, <laughs> it was just, it got better every pint. Just enough flavor, you know, balance every which way to keep you drinking not even thinking about it you just enjoyed every sip so before you knew it you were you know however many deep and you're like oh man that's a good beer so selfishly that's that's what i try and brew um but yeah when you, i mean it's not very selfish it. when you're getting paid for it i mean <laughs> but when you're cooking like you know you're always cooking with your own uh, like i hate to say this because it sounds weird it sounds like what you were saying you know i'm selfishly brewing but when you're cooking you know, you definitely have something in your own mind that you're shooting for. And, you know, I, I never thought about it until just this moment, but it's almost always going to be something I would like to drink. Like, it would be hard for me to brew for somebody else's palate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you were cooking for us and liked garlic, I'm imagining you're going to put quite a bit of garlic in pasta. <laughs> you know what? I think, I think with food, it would almost be easier because, like, for instance, you know, uh, let's say you're cooking for family, you know, maybe like, you know, your sister doesn't like spicy food. So maybe you take it easy on that kind of thing. But yeah, with deer, yeah. um, I think that would take a lot more practice to sort of get out of your own rut. I, I don't know if that's the right way of saying it. 
Yes. Yes and no, because the other thing we have is 15 other options up there. So I'd imagine if I go to yeah. dinner at your house, you're not going to be like, which of these 16 things would you like to eat? I can cook, so, baby. So, no, I'm just kidding. I can't yeah. totally so, so if you don't like this one, if we give you a splash of this one, you're like, hey, that's not for me. I mean, we got five other, four or five other hoppy IPA pale ale options up there mm -hmm. that we can find one you like. So it's not like you bring one dish out and if everybody doesn't like it, it's a it's a bomb. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's one luxury we have true. here. So if you're if you if you know you're making a spectrum of beers already, I guess it'd be easier to get out of that. But for a home brewer, that would take a lot of practice because we're never <laughs> yeah. we're never making like ten beers at once. Yeah. yeah. Right. What? No, yeah. yeah. Drink that whole batch. You got your one batch. Yeah. Yeah. And if it sucks, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> your friends are getting a lot of shit. I don't even want to do it on my stovetop anymore. I really don't. Yeah. Um. After brewing with uh with Ryan at All American, now I'm just like I'm honestly I'm totally spoiled. That was all manual. Yeah. Um. That's why I was marveling at his system because I could see that uh. His, uh, you know, I brewed with his team. I brewed with uh, Melissa and um, Eric, and we were, you know, got up at freaking five o'clock in the morning and got there and started putting grain in the in the mash tun. And uh, we were doing it all manually. Watching, I didn't even see it in action. I just looked inside their mash tun here, um, and I was like, oh, this is. This is how you do it, baby. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was a, I, I could just imagine how much easier everything would be. And now, but, hopefully, uh, on the next uh, collab, I can be a little more involved, but you know. Yeah, that's a, I was busy getting injured. If we had a bumper sticker for this season, it would be Connor wasn't there. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> hey, if you ever want a mill grain, it's all manual labor in the back. Oh, yeah, Connor, you're more than welcome. Well, I have a fractured arm, sir, so could I come and take notes? <laughs> sure. <laughs> you're the safety officer. Safety officer, that one. <laughs> so um, we're uh, moving on to your hazy. Yes. So um, I took a sip, and you're very right about the dryness and not the typical chewy flavor that yeah, I was yeah. trying to explain earlier. Where am I? So... <laughs> so <laughs> Through your eyes, this is a hazy. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? So this one, we actually used, for the first time, we used Golden Promise. Like I was saying, then you'll get a little grainier note, a little more sweetness to the body. So we've made them in the past with Pilsner malt, and they, they've translated... Oh, that could be a girl's They've translated <laughs> to be from even... Even drier, <laughs> even drier than this has been. So this has a little more malt presence, even even though it's dry and you know still finishes that way. Maltier than a lot of the other ones we've made, but tailored a little bit to the customer as far as what they're looking for in a hazy. From there, it's that Golden Promise makes up about fifty percent of it. We use a ton of rolled oats, flaked wheat, and white wheat to give it that creamy, smooth... Uh, Juiciness. Yeah. Yeah, and then... Because my palate's a little bit shot after tasting a bunch of different beers. Yeah. My my uh, mouth is definitely watering yep. like crazy. I don't, what does that? What's the... Uh, it's, it's hop to the gills. It's... I mean, hot side, cold side, double yeah. dry hop. It's... 
I think what's interesting about this one is that it's also Mosaic Simcoe, just like Thousand Steps was. Really? There's Zythos in here, which we used for the first time. We're really stoked on. It kind of has a Melanie character. Say it again slowly. Zythos. Okay. It's Greek for beer. Huh. That's a great motto. <laughs> right? <laughs> if only we were Greek. Yeah. But so, not to be confused with Fosters, <laughs> which is also Australian. Yeah. Maybe that's what I was. Maybe that I was. That's what I was harkening back to accidentally. I was like, man, that sounds great. That should be on a advertisement. But it's a really similar hot bill to uh, the previous West Coast IPA that we were drinking. Completely different beers. Um, so yeah, if you kind of drink them side by side, you'd never know, but it's a Mosaic Simcoe beer. Yeah, that was shocking when you said that. Yeah, yeah. I, I had no idea either. I, yeah, I, so this totally is expected. really a difference in the grain and in the yeast. Yeah, the yeast. and the amount of wheat, amount of hop, the hop rate on this one's a lot higher. Oh, really? a double dry hop on this one. Wow, so you guys are finding ways to pack even more hops in trying. this beer. It's <laughs> usually with our hazies, as opposed to West Coast or Core beer, we're usually looking at about 150% um, you know, increase in hops. Really? So, yeah. That's crazy. That's a lot. Is and, that for every hazy? We're, no, we're still on, I mean, I would say we're still on the low end, to be honest. Hmm. As far as not giving away our secrets, we're still only about between three and four pounds per barrel on our hazy beers when most places are, depends on who you are, but I know a lot of places that are six to seven without batting an eye. And do you get, um, do you get diminishing returns when you, when you pop it that much? I believe so, but other people don't. I've talked to plenty of people and I'm like, no, I think, I think anything over, you know, that three to four range, you're just, you're just dumping vegetable matter into a beer. And then other people have been like, no, I taste a huge difference between six and seven from, you know, around four. And I'm like, if you say so, boss, but. Are they really even tasting at that point or are they just smelling a big difference, right? Yeah. I mean, the nose, is, not that the nose isn't a huge part of your flavor, but I got to think at some point, I mean, we know that IBUs have a limit on the tongue, yeah. Mm -hmm. At some point, with your with your hop bill, there's only so much your tongue can take. I imagine they've got to be smelling it more than tasting it. A lot, yeah. Right. I've seen studies that, as far as the dry hop goes, anything above two hour, anything above two barrels per pound is just two pounds per barrel. Yeah. Strike that, reverse it. <laughs> yeah. Um, two pounds per barrel just, I mean, just decreases its effectiveness so to say well but it's still people continue to put more and more in there so well i never do? would have guessed that it was on the low end of anything i was actually surprised that because um, honestly when i think hops i just automatically think more bitter yeah. and this hazy style isn't bitter you know it isn't bitter at all it's right. floral and it's juicy yeah and it's got body uh, you know it's not as uh clean and crisp it's more Big and big and stout. Yeah, I would um, agree with you there. But uh, it's definitely good and very drinkable. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. We found with our hazies, um, right when we kegged them, there's this like a hot burn. There's so much hot matter in these beers that typically on the West Coast IPA, day one is like the best day you can drink it. That's when the hops are at their most vibrant. We found these after about two weeks really hit their stride. 
you'll almost be able to taste the hops in the beer for the first couple of weeks. And some people love that. Some people like that kind of visceral feeling of hops in their mouth. But yeah, they want to they want to lick hops. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Their mouth to just be completely blown out. But yeah, this is starting to hit its hit its stride. It's been on tap for about a week now, a week and a half. Okay. We're digging it right now. I've noticed that too. Um, when I when I keg a beer, um, there's this this phase where it like tastes young. Yeah. Like, yeah and I don't know why that happens. Can you give us any insight into like how the flavors mellow out a little bit after you keg? Because it seems like once you once you ferm, you know the conical fermenters, the whole point is to let all the matter, hot matter settle, all the yeast settle, all the hot matter settle, mm-hmm. everything fall out of the beer. You get it out as much as you can, and then you keg it. Uh, when you keg it, you think it would taste pretty much the way it's gonna taste. But in my in my experience, that kind of isn't the the case. Flavors do mellow in the keg. Yes, well the. You know, hazy New England styles, I think they're very different. Uh, I can also use them when I'm in a pinch. These beers can be rushed a little quicker because a lot of people, a lot of people who are fully against hazies, they say, you know, it's improperly brewed or made. Why do they say that? What makes it improper? Because it's not clear. Yeah, look at it. Yeah. A hundred years Mine's ago, empty, that, so that would have looked <laughs> yeah. that would have looked like a fault in a beer. So hmm. that is one thing that if I'm trying to make, obviously a lager, I'm going to give that a lot more time in the tank. But if I'm trying to make our West Coast IPA crystal clear, I want to give that a lot more time than these hazy. So sometimes just based off tank capacity and everything, we these hops are having or these beers are having so many hops introduced over the entire course of its life, like massive whirlpool addition massive i mean even hot side additions we still do here in our hazies even though most people tell you not to <laughs> i i still like it i still like to keep them bitter but whirlpool whirlpool additions couple days later first dry hop couple days later second dry hop crash it get it out like you can you can turn around a tank very quick with these and i think that's what it's stemming from that there's so many hops being introduced so there's still going to be hop matter in the beer itself and that'll drop out. We also add our fining agent to most of our hazy beers. We add half the dose. So okay. so that that way they don't fall out. So what you have in what you have in your glass right now, it's gonna look like that till we're down to our last keg. It's gonna be just that hazy. Mm-hmm. It's not the haziest beer you're ever gonna be served, but it's also not gonna change in appearance. So I find that to be a benefit because We'll hit it with half the dose, and then you drop all the yeast in suspension out of there, drop all the hot particles in suspension out of there. And I don't even like tasting these beers before we do that, because I'll put God knows how many pounds of hops into these beers, and it tastes like it's exactly what it tastes like. It, you know, tastes like yeasty hop matter. And then you biofine it, drop all that out, and a day later you're like, oh, there's the aroma I was looking for. There's the flavors I was looking for. And then every day after that, it gets comes through a little more, and I end up being very happy with them. But at first, yeah. so let me ask what like may seem good, like a dumb question. Yeasty <laughs> <laughs> hot matter. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask what may seem like a dumb question then. Um, uh, so we're you're still letting it sit and letting things fall out of the beer. The the yeast falls out of suspension, the hot matter falls out of suspension. But because it's the hazy IPA and because you've dropped so many hops into it, 
do you think we're like not getting all of that out of system? And obviously, we're using half of you said you're using half a dose for the clarifying agent. For um, but do you think we're not getting everything out of suspension exactly? No, at that point, it's going to be a lot of the um, mostly going to be the proteins residual from the wheat, the oats, and also dry hopping during fermentation they say is supposed to create a bio transformation with the yeast and the hops that's also going to help retain haze water profile is also going to add to it too so it would it would actually be pretty hard to get that beer clearer than it is even with the full dose it wouldn't you know if we tried to get it as clear as any of our clearest beers on tap it would be very difficult it would require a lot of time so it's not the, it's not like particulate matter that's in there that's giving a taste. It's, it's the proteins they, from the grains. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's how the, the recipe was crafted. Yeah. with everything. Okay, that Science, makes a little more man. sense. <laughs> well, I know that's the other thing is you know <laughs> that's that's what they tell me. Science. I used to say I used to say that's what that, I heard oh, on a podcast once. <laughs> uh, I used to say that brewing a batch of beer was, um, at least for me at my level, was very much like baking a batch of brownies, um, but. As we get more and more into it, you know, some of our episodes we've talked about scientific terms that, you know, I had to like look them up after. Um, so, you know, what you guys do is is very by the numbers, especially on this scale. You know, when you're making 30 barrels of something, you can't afford to be off by a little by a pinch here and a pinch there. You you gotta Totally, because like if you if you have like your specific batch, like you don't want your customers to receive something that's different week by week unless that's your intention. Right. So you have your essential batch, and what through your beers, like what is the one? Do you do a lot of experiments on your beers, or do you kind of like stick to the same styles through that? Is that like with this hazy? Do you in, like try in to relation with in this relation one? to our hazies or in relation to our core beers? More of the, the hazies. Like, like one-off beer? Or hazies, I don't think we've brewed the same beer twice. No, we yeah. experiment we every yeah, single batch. Have. Okay. Um, Core beer's consistency is what we shoot yeah, for. for. We sure. don't have a, a full QA yeah. lab. Yeah. So that's just being really meticulous in our brewing. Um, but hazies, this is where we get to stretch our legs a little bit and try. Like we, This Twilight Red we're drinking now is Zythos. We've never used Zythos before. We combined it with two hops we know. Mm. Work really great together, Mosaic Simco. Yeah, but yeah, we get to play around with these all the time. But this yeah, is. at that point, Zythos in this beer, Zythos is fifty percent of it because we wanted to mess around with it, Mosaic and Simco. Like you said, we know basically like, how it's they're foolproof. Yeah. Like they're they're gonna complement this hop well if it does what we want it to. But we wanna we want this to be front and center if we're gonna use it. Yeah. So. What's um? What are we looking for with the Zythos uh, flavor and aroma? What's the Zythos is going to be very citrusy and stone fruit, like um, from and a melony note. character. Yeah. We get a big melon note in this little cantaloupe honeydew that we've never gotten from a hazy before, and Which, now we're pretty psyched about. I I think it's tasty and um like you said a little bit summery in that yeah. um kind of melony flavor, um. You know, we say stone fruit um, a lot. I've, we've been hearing that in a lot of uh, podcast episodes. But, you know, there's a lot of different stone fruits. There's <laughs> plum, there's peach, there's, you know, nectarine. Um, 
what are what specifically uh, are you are you thinking when you uh, say stone? There's cherry. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of fruits that have a big pit. What are, what are we usually talking about when we say stone fruit generally? In sorry, in this specific year or in general? Both. Well, that's funny because I feel like every beer description you read now, it's tropical stone fruit with a hint of citrus. <laughs> right. It's very broad. <laughs> yeah. Very, very and, and broad. That, I, that's kind of what I was asking. You could almost exactly mean right anything sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if I would, if in this beer, if I was going to use stone fruit, I'd try to describe the fruit we're getting. I think there is a peach note to this. There's definitely a cherry note. Yes. Um, peach, maybe a tiny bit apricot. But I feel like when people oh, that's mention, kind of what I was thinking. I was thinking a little bit more apricotty, like yeah. almost like a like Magic Hat is the one beer that I know that has a lot of apricot in it. Yeah. I kind of get a hint of that. Uh-huh. What's the name of that one? Magic Hat? No, that's the brewery. What's the number beer? nine? Right? They're like number, I think no. one. Is that apricot and orange peel? I don't know. Number nine. The Magic Hat number nine is. Uh, yeah. I'm it, from the East Coast, mostly, so I know it's mostly apricot. Yeah. Is it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, fact check your face says <laughs> fact check the audience fact check me right now <laughs> please don't tweet it look bad no no on this one i'm pretty sure i'm right because I, I think you are too i remember that i was very surprised at that and once i tasted it i kept it's one of those things you can't unsee yeah like i couldn't untaste it because i never would have thought of that until i knew it yeah gotcha um Whoa. but this one is uh you're right kind of peachy and kind of melony yeah yeah I feel, I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> My first thought for stone fruit is apricot. That's like normally I just try and sound more educated stone fruit. Yeah. I know. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, because I keep seeing it everywhere, and I'm like, there's, there's more than one stone fruit, sir. Is that the yeah. next fad you guys think? The stone fruit idea. I think it's here. It's here. Yeah. Yeah. Every description. It's tropical. Yes, and every day, tropical stone. Every day yeah. Which tropical? But like, that, that's such a variant of flavors. Like you could say it. Yeah, there's a lot of different kinds of citrus too. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. While we're talking about. You that. know, yeah. You can go from sour to very just juicy, like sweet. So yeah. It's pretty interesting that they're just labeling it stone fruit. Yeah. I think it's just a marketing ad. Right. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I think it's tastes, almost, um... Tastes good. It tastes good. You like it. Almost like all it. of your menu descriptions, like, not here particularly, but almost any uh, menu description, um, especially with beer, especially with all these different styles, it's almost begging to, like, do a deeper dive on it. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, Cindy drives me a little bit crazy. Uh, who's Cindy? My, my lovely wife. Uh-huh. Drives me a little bit That's crazy. Indeed. In this particular uh, instance, she'll um, she'll ask a waiter or waitress, you know, well, what is this? And what is this meaning? And I'm like, just order your food, please. <laughs> but, um, you know, she's interested. And uh, I feel like gear descriptions are kind of begging for that treatment also. I feel like, you, you know, you get so much more out of it if you just ask a couple questions totally before agree. you start drinking. Yeah. Well, what I notice when I'm, like, bartending at, at the place I, I'm at, they... Someone will come up and they'll be like, "Is how is this?" And I'll be like, "It's good." I like it. How do I even answer that question? And then when when I say that, they they order it immediately. But when I start explaining something, that's when they're kind of like, you know, pushed away from it almost. They go or, like, well, or more into it. Yeah, it depends on the, on the person. Hand. But like most of the yeah. time, when I start explaining something, well, it has this like you know, let's just say apricot flavor, a little bit of tartness. Yeah. Um, but it has a bold hop characteristic to it. They go, ah, oh, apricot. 
No, that's <laughs> and true. Then back the and then you go, no, it's good. It's yeah. just, it's just a, a part of the flavor that it's in the beer. And but like, you see, it, people don't realize that they've had those flavors before and just didn't know it. Yeah, the, the, exactly. It, it's then, like it's then, weird if you just say it's good to someone. I feel like they'll just jump on it. It's weird. But no, my sister, like you're saying, my sister would read a three-word description: apricot, stone fruit, citrus, and be like, "Ooh, that's yummy. I wonder if that's in the beer." And order one, but. I mean, maybe somebody who is more into it would read those three words and be like, huh, what did you dry hop? You know, what hops are in this? So yeah, totally. It, damned if you do, damned if you don't. And in a sense, kind of there that sometimes descriptions or descriptive words like that work for some people and other people might be like, oh, I hate that fruit. Like, I'm not drinking that. And it's like, That's well, true. it's if you not put that like many descriptions, it's not you like might turn somebody off. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, to be realistic, fruit is a better, broader, knowledgeable thing than yeah. hops. So yeah. if you slap mm-hmm. peach on something, they're going to be like, oh, yeah. If you put equinox on something, they're yeah. going to be like, what? That's not you a know? word. Yeah. 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 That's not a word. <laughs> I like that. That's good. <laughs> so. That's something we really pride ourselves on here is right now we have five clear IPAs on. Mm-hmm. And if somebody comes in here and they say, what's the difference between these five West Coast IPAs? Our staff can explain you through that. They can tell you if you want to know the hop bill, if they want to know if it's stone fruity, tropical, whatever. They can explain that to you. And that's something that not everybody's looking for, but for the beer geek who comes in here and wants to know the difference between five, seven percent West Coast IPAs we have on board, that's something really cool. Like we love going deep with our customers. If they really want to go there, we can walk them through processes and ingredients. Um, for other people, they're like, what does this taste like? They're like stone fruit. They're like, oh, awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Two of those, please. Two of them. Um, so yeah, that's something cool. That we love the varying degrees of knowledge that people have when they come in. We can, if you've never had an IPA, we can get you going. Or if you want to talk about the exact hopping rate for our 20 minute edition, we can answer that too. Well, that's, what, that's what I love is like- I won't tell them the exact hopping rate for my 20 minute that's edition. Just, <laughs> we fudge it a little bit. It's very particular about his 20 minute edition. It's the secret to the beer according to him. Or you can't, can't give it, can't give away any trade secrets. Yeah. So that's what I love. Out. I mean, we're spending an hour and a half talking about beer, and you know, it's more like two hours now, but yeah. Yay! All right, that's a good one. <laughs> we um, can go for another two. Well, yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. I keep learning more and more. I keep um, getting an opportunity to ask better questions or dumber questions sometimes, but even the dumb questions yield good answers. I, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. But the point is, um, jump in with both feet, beer drinkers. You know, I always say, if you get a pint of beer that you don't particularly enjoy, you can always have another pint of beer. <laughs> so um, jump in with both feet, definitely ask some questions, and uh, the result is almost always gonna be something positive. Since we're getting on towards two hours, I think we should probably wrap up. Yes, definitely. So uh, thank you guys. This has been awesome. I mean, I hope we didn't take too much of your day away. No, not at all. Um, I'll just be here until midnight, but... That's true. He's going to be here brewing and drinking all night. Um, That's that's actually one thing we should say. Thank your brewer. Yeah, seriously. Like, your brewer is... Your bartender stays up all night slinging you booze. Your brewer gets up crazy early in the morning 
to actually make your beer. Yeah. So next time you're in a craft brewery, uh, remember that somebody was literally shoveling grain this morning mm -hmm. um, and stirring things up, unless they have a very fancy automated mash tun like we do here. <laughs> um, Most but, likely at 5 a.m. Yes, very early in the morning, and they're staying up very late. So say thank you, yeah. um, ask them some questions, try and pick their brain for a couple trade secrets, and uh, remember to uh, come down to... Laguna Beach Beer Company, either the Rancher Santa Margarita uh, Brewery and Tasting Room or the Tasting Room that's right on Canyon Road. For those of you who don't know exactly what I'm talking about, if you're going to Long Beach, I'm sorry, I said Long Beach again. If you're going to Laguna Beach, there's kind of only one way to get there if you're not already on PCH, um, and that way is through the Canyon Road, and if you've ever been there, you know what it looks like. So right before you get to um, Laguna Beach, the coast uh, you are going to go through a little um, area that has the Sawdust Festival and uh, the Pageant of the Masters. If you've ever watched uh, Arrested Development, you know exactly what I'm talking about, even if you're in another part of the country. It's right in that neighborhood, so stop in. You're going to love it. Um, thank you so much to Brendan and Christian for um, giving us so much time and, frankly, so much beer. We drank, yeah, we drank a good bit here. <laughs> before 5 p.m. So. Yeah, this is a, it's a good way to start my long weekend. So, Oh, yeah, you're going to Vegas, huh? Yeah. Tomorrow, baby. Thank you to you guys for the ride home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're definitely going to eat something before we get to the no, Yeah, I definitely need to eat. So that'll be our next podcast episode, Eating. I'll be going to be <laughs> Tune in in five minutes. <laughs> remember, don't be afraid to ask questions when uh, you come here. So thank you very much for listening to the episode at Laguna Beach Beer Company. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. If you listened all the way through to the end, we're going to give you a little bonus content. Uh, thank you, Mike, for hooking us up with some preseason uh, Anaheim Ducks tickets. That's hockey for those of you who aren't familiar. Connor and I went and uh, it was oh, ridiculous. That's what we did tonight. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Um, so it was awesome. We got seats on the ice, and then we also got seats in club level, and then we had some steak on club level. It was prime rib. Oh, shit. We're seeing so OC. It, it was a little bit OC. Yeah. But uh, Connor was on the Jumbotron, oh, and yeah. I almost fell into the aisle laughing that Connor was on the Jumbotron because it was just I, hilarious. I took, I took my jersey off. <laughs> he was on the flex cam. I was on the flex cam. <laughs> Is so funny That's how strong i am i'm gonna start laughing right now anyway um so then we um made our way up to the club level and uh we had the buffet and the promotions people tried to put us on the jumbotron again oh dreadlocks guy <laughs> but we um it was a dreadlocks guy and uh but we um we were there because somebody uh gifted us some tickets and we did not want to be embarrassing um, so we, we turned them down, which was probably the right thing to do. Uh, but we had uh, a tremendous amount of food. I was still eating steak. That's true. Pretty nasty. And, uh, <laughs> but we had a really, really good time. So if you made it all the way to, to the end of the episode, you know, um, what we do in our free time, we go to sporting events and we cut up. Um, so we hope you enjoyed the Laguna Beach Beer Company episode. We want to thank Christian and Brendan for being amazing uh, while we were down there. Uh, we want to encourage you to go check out their brewery, 
It is um, just full of good beer. You definitely in the back half heard us talking about how good uh, the beer that we tasted was. And if you hear a lot of noise there, it's because they're expanding it. And it looks awesome back there. They got so much coming for you guys. Yeah, they have, they have a lot going on. Um, our folks, rather. They, uh, they were literally midway through tearing out a giant walk-in cold box so that they could put in more fermenters. More beer. <laughs> a lot more beer, actually, if you, you know, just calculate by the barrel. Um, but we had an amazing time. We'll definitely be going back down there to hang out and to bring our friends. We hope you do the same. Uh, thank you for listening. This was the Hollywood Growler. Cheers, folks.